Hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. So this past Wednesday marked the 108th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. So in honor of that, we're going to chat with the folks from the Titanic Belfast Museum in Belfast, Ireland. I'm a bit of a Titanic geek, so I'm looking forward to that. Plus, staying with the travel by boat theme, we'll talk about the modern day ocean liners, the cruise ships, and what will cruising look like after the COVID crisis is over. We'll discuss that and other issues the cruise industry is facing these days with the cruise guru himself, David Yeskel. But to start things out, since we're all in self-isolation and can't travel anywhere, I thought it might be fun to chat about the top five ways to escape when you can't travel. It's an article in Go World Travel Magazine, and it's written by travel writer and author Angie Cavallari. And Angie joins us now from her home in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Angie. Hi. Well, let's talk about the top five ways to escape when we can't travel. It's been a while since we can't travel. Maybe some of us are getting a little bit antsy, but we still can't travel. But we can uh, always dream about it and always plan for that next trip, can't we? Absolutely, and that was what was behind this article, um, Top 5 Ways to Escape When You Can't Travel. And one of the first tips that I love to lead with, and I, I don't know about you, Randy, I love planning travel and vacations. I could sit there for hours on the sofa, a cup of coffee, and just research nonstop. So that's actually one of the first tips that I led with um, because I feel like, you know, when you're sitting down, you're looking to the future, um, you're not getting as bogged down in your mind, and you, you, you have something to look forward to as well. Mm-hmm. So that's actually the first, yeah, so that's the first tip um, is starting to plan future travel. Yeah, well, it's always fun to do that. Even if, even if you have, you know, it's, it's just like a wild, you know, bucket list uh, trip, it's still fun to kind of even dream and plan it and go, you know, this is, might be possible, right? Absolutely. And you can snag some pretty good deals right now. A lot of the airlines are being, and resort hotels are being very favorable. But I'm always a fan of travel insurance. So if you decide to get a little antsy and you want to kind of put something in the books now, go ahead and get the travel insurance in the back. And if you have to move anything around, you're entirely covered and protected, although mm-hmm. the airlines have been very forgiving. so They have. Uh, and also, of course, part of that travel planning is reading about it, whether it's a travel blog or a magazine or, or books, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I've lately I've been diving into, I mean, I normally read travel for work, obviously, for what I do for a living, but um, I've been diving into more books that I probably wouldn't have spent the time to read. Actually, books in general, I've been kind <laughs> of gobbling up, um, but especially ones on travel and just kind of getting some tips, which is, you know, the next great step after planning that getaway, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, if you've never been to Yosemite, I'm not a big camping person, but I'm going to try it. So that's <laughs> my next trip. And there's plenty of books out there that you can research, um, and it's a great place to start or get lost. Or you can go with fiction books if you're feeling it that are centered around travel. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're seeing a lot of destinations, too, uh have virtual tours now. Not that they didn't have them before, but now more than ever, they seem to be uh, popping up everywhere. So uh, you can do that as well, right? Yeah. So what's cool about that is there's there are free. Most of them are free. I'm actually trying one today that's paid. It's only ten dollars, but it's a cooking show. We'll see how that goes. But <laughs> there's a lot of um, virtual travel experiences. And I mentioned earlier Yosemite. The national parks um, have been very generous and kind and have put together virtual travel videos. You can actually go to their site um, and get a look of 
you know, I mean, Oregon, California, national parks across the United States have provided these videos at no charge. So it's a great way to kind of get away as well as other countries. Mm. Um, you can visit Austria. You can go to Prague. You can tour the Guggenheim. You can go all over the world right now entirely virtual, which is that, that should quench that wanderlust for you. And one thing you have in here that uh, I've been finding I've been doing a lot of, and that's watching Netflix. Absolutely. One of my favorite movies, and it, it was on the list in this article, is The Talented Mr. Ripley, just because it's so beautiful mm-hmm. and it was filmed on location in Italy, um, in Venice, um, Rome. It's just, it's such a, it's just beautiful, the landscape. And I do feel like I'm traveling, but it's kind of a, bummer film if you've seen it not all these films are my favorite they're just part of the escape and um where they're filmed on location it's just so beautiful and spectacular that it's worth traveling even if the storyline's meh so (laughs) (laughs) worth it worth it I just turn so. the sound down and just look at the scenery, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, you could do that as well. I mean, you know, so a couple of films are not meant to change your life. They're just meant for a little bit of escapism and kind of getting away from the mundane and dreaming about that next vacation. Mm-hmm. One thing I haven't tried, though, is, uh, you know, connecting with other uh, like-minded adventure seekers and people like that. You can do it quite easy now with all the social media that's out there, right? Absolutely. And beyond social media and Facebook groups that are out there, for a long time, um, most of our uh, readers happen to be in different countries and they happen to be millennials. And they have known about couchsurfing.com for a very long time. Um, I'm, I'm, I myself am not a millennial, and I, I just discovered this and I'm like, this is fantastic. So before it was kind of a place to crash if you were traveling, but now they've really branched out. It's turned into quite a support group right now for those that are just really itching to travel and want to get out. And so it's a good support group there. And, of course, meetup.com always has plenty of groups um, that are broken down by categories such as travel. So you can find some travelers along the way on social media and and online as well. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the last tip that kind of goes hand-in-hand with the first one uh, about uh, researching or looking for your next trip is to budget for it. You can plan uh, how you're going to pay for it, right? Absolutely. And again, there's so many great deals right now that I, I personally wouldn't hesitate booking a trip. Again, if you get the travel insurance with it, you're able to build, and it's very minimal. So you can build that into your budget and really have the time right now to plan it right and make sure that you have the funds to have the best next vacation ever. Mm-hmm. Well, those are five ways to escape when you can't travel. Uh, you can find it on uh, GoWorldTravel.com, Go World Travel Magazine. And Angie Cavallari is a travel writer for Go World Travel and author. Her website is a Trailer Trash Memoir.com. Uh, pleasure chatting with you, Angie. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. Take care. Well, one industry that's been hit especially hard during this COVID pandemic is the cruise industry, making many people wonder if it will survive at all. So what will cruising look like after the COVID crisis is over? Joining us now to discuss that and other issues the cruise industry is facing these days is David Yeskel. He's a regular contributor to the podcast. You know him as the Cruise Guru, and you can find him on Twitter at CruiseGuru underscore, and his website is OceanCruise.Guru. Hi, David. Hi, Randy. 
Let's talk about cruising. It's been in the news a lot lately uh, for good news and bad news. We're going to start, uh, well, let's start with this uh, CDC uh, no-sale order. What exactly does that mean? That's CDC is the uh, Centers for uh, Disease Control, by the way. Uh, no-sale order. What's the, uh, the gist of that? So basically, the CDC's no-sale order ceases operations of cruise ships sailing to, from, or in U.S. waters and requires that the cruise lines, and here's where I'll quote, develop a comprehensive, detailed operational plan approved by the CDC and the U.S. Coast Guard to address the COVID-19 pandemic through maritime-focused solutions, including a fully implementable response plan with limited reliance on state, local, and federal government support, close quote. So what does that mean? So basically, they're requiring the cruise lines to come up with a plan that's going to accomplish thorough pre-cruise and ongoing passenger and crew medical screenings, training the crew on COVID-19 prevention, managing and responding to an outbreak on board, and that's key because the cruise lines are going to be responsible for managing it, any outbreaks on board, on their own. Hmm. They They can't count on local or federal government support. They can't medevac passengers sick to shore. The CDC wants the cruise lines to handle all this completely on their own, and they have to submit this plan to the Coast Guard and to the CDC for review. And so basically, this no-sale order will stay while the lines are developing the plan, mm-hmm. and, and it won't be lifted. Um, and there's three situations that will lift it. Basically, um, the third situation, which is, 100 days from the date of publication of the no-sale order, which is about mid-July, looks most likely. You know, the others could be if the CDC rescinds or modifies the order based on, you know, specific uh, consideration like, oh, guess what, the virus just disappeared or something unlikely like that. But in all likelihood, it's going to last until um, mid-July. But meanwhile, the cruise lines are going to be working on these plans to submit to the CDC. Mm-hmm. Well, lots of things come to mind when you say that. One, they've uh, they practiced pretty good with diseases with norovirus and those things. So you would think the cruise lines are kind of halfway there or, or pretty much almost there handling something like that, wouldn't you? Yeah, they're part of the way there, Randy. So, you know, up till now, that management has depended on passengers to tell the truth when mm. they're filling out the, the health form at embarkation. Nobody's been checking them. Uh, that'll be checked now. There'll be temperature screenings and, and things like that. And, and really enhanced verification and checking and screenings, um, not only at embarkation, but also while they're on board. And now my next question is the CDC is doing this. This is for cruises in U.S. ports. Right. If I'm re- understanding that correctly, what about ports that are not U.S. ports? Yeah, so, so basically the, there's a, a cruise line in Asia, Genting Cruise Lines, which operates Dream Cruises and Star Cruises. And they have just, and those are primarily for Asian guests, but they just released a whole list of safety and prevention measures that they're going to implement on board and I really think that these will, will be the blueprint for what we're going to be seeing for cruise lines all over the world, uh, regardless of where they operate. So I can kind of go through these. I've culled through these for you. Mm-hmm. and um, They're very lengthy, but I've kind of picked out what I consider to be the, uh, uh, the hot-button topics, and we'll get an idea, I think, about what we're going to be seeing. 
So in each functional category, like in embarkation and disembarkation, they're going to do mandatory temperature screening and pre-boarding health declaration for all guests, and they're going to check you with fever screening at the ship's gangways. Guests age 70 years and above will need to provide a doctor's certificate showing fitness for travel, meaning, say they have some serious underlying condition, mm-hmm. they may not get the certificate, and thus they may not be allowed to travel. Um, on board in guest accommodations, the crew is going to do this higher frequency um, disinfection in guest cabins using hospital-grade disinfectants, including a twice-daily wipe-down of guest cabins. So that will be done on all their ships. In the public areas, um, they're going to sanitize elevators every two hours, public areas and facilities two to ten times daily, depending on how much traffic it gets. The spa and amenities, minimum two times daily, all using hospital-grade disinfectants. So this is going to go on all day and all night. Uh, then when we get into areas of food hygiene, right, and mm-hmm. F&B, that's what we all want to know about. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the galleys and all the restaurants and bar areas are going to be cleaned and sanitized three times daily during and after service. Guests will be strongly encouraged, and I'm, I'm assuming they're going to be forced, to wash their hands before entry and use. Um, and then we, we can pretty much forget about self-service buffets. So all food and beverage services are going to be served to guests by crew members wearing face masks and disposable gloves. And, and I think that's something we can look at uh, coming pretty much for every cruise line everywhere. I think self-service buffets are pretty much at the end of their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and for the time being and going forward, and, and, and I don't know if this will ever return back, but I think it's all, always going to be crew-served. So, so the cruise lines will have to kind of rework how their buffets operate um, to, to, to provide full service. Yeah. So these mega cruise ships, the 5,000-passenger-plus ships, are they going to now, their capacity be, I don't know, 1,500, maybe 1,000? So I think likely that's what we're going to see. So some people who are booking and doing bookings and travel agents are reporting that they're not able to book certain cabins for future bookings. Um, The cruise lines haven't said this yet, but I believe, at least at the outset, we will see reduced capacity on board so that the cruise lines could better manage uh, the crowds Mm -hmm. and the groups and keep those down. So. So um, those people who don't like the 5,000-passenger ships will now maybe be on a 5,000-passenger ship that only accommodates 2,500. So, um, so they're not saying that yet officially, but I think that's what they're headed towards. And even like guest capacity in theaters and lounges are going to be limited yeah. to half the venue capacity. Yeah. Tour, bu- tour buses on shore excursions, half capacity, you know, something like that. Yeah, so, yeah. So uh, I think that's going to be the new normal aboard ships, aboard cruise ships, big and small. And we'll see if those stick or for how long they last. Interesting. Well, and on some good news, I guess, I guess it depends on how you look at it, but cruise bookings are up for uh, 2021 compared to 2019. Yes, they are, which is very interesting. So, so far this year, compared to the prior year, Bookings are up about 9% I've seen for 2021. So so there's obviously a pent-up demand, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I think especially for people who've cruised, you know, people who haven't cruised, new to cruise, people yeah. are going to be tough to get uh, on board. Uh, you know, it's uh, unfortunately the cruise industry has kind of turned into the poster child for the virus. And I think new to cruise people are going to be really tough to convince to get, to get on board, yeah. at least initially. 
But people who have crews and, and knowing what new, you know, measures will be in place to protect them and, and all of us are are going to have this, have this pent-up demand. And so I think that's what we're seeing with the 2021 bookings. Yeah. Well, cruisers like cruising, that's for sure. They, they have a really high uh, repeat uh, customer base, don't they? They do. They sure do. So uh, all the cruise lines pretty much have a high repeat customer base. They want to hold on to those guests, and um, they want to give them the confidence to book again because they're depending on them to going forward. Mm-hmm. Interesting times indeed, and if you want to stay up to date with all the cruise news, you can follow the cruise guru. He is David Yeskel. You can find him on Twitter uh, at cruiseguru underscore. Uh, always a pleasure to chat, David. Thank you so much. Same here, Randy. Good talking with you. Well, this past Wednesday, April 15th, marked the 108th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. So in honor of that, I thought it might be fitting to remember what happened on that fateful night. So joining us now to talk about the Titanic is Emir Carney. She's the head of marketing and communications for Titanic Belfast. The website is titanicbelfast.com. Hi, Emir. Hello. I think a lot of people are pretty familiar with the story of Titanic, uh, to some degree at least. But uh, tell me the relationship between uh, Belfast and Titanic. It's a pretty interesting story in itself, isn't it? Yes, so Belfast is where the story really began. So Titanic, um, for anybody who's not familiar, it was built in Belfast. Um, but it was actually concepted, the, the idea was concepted and she was also designed there. Um, so I work for Titanic Belfast, which is a visitor attraction, and it's located on the exact spot where Titanic was built. So it's an authentic experience. Anybody that comes to Titanic Belfast and to Belfast to learn about the Titanic story, it's the only place they can get that real authentic story. You can walk on the slipways where the ship was built. You can explore the drawing offices, which is now a beautiful boutique hotel where she was designed. And you can really feel um, like you're right there in the shipyard and just imagine what it would have been like over 100 years ago when thousands and thousands of men um, from Belfast were there working on Titanic along with lots of other big world-class liners. Uh, Now... And it is quite a story. It wasn't like the ship, as soon as it got off the uh, shipyards, it sailed on its maiden voyage. It had to do some tests and things like that. And then it started the, the voyage in Southampton, if, if I'm correct, right? It did. So it was built in Belfast um, on the slipways just off Titanic Belfast. It then went further around Belfast Lock to the dry dock where she was fitted out. Um, so that's where all of the interiors were put in, put in including the, the famous things like the grand staircase and, and the funnels. She then sailed to Southampton, and that is where um, Titanic first set off on her maiden voyage. She then went to Cherbourg in the north of France, but there the water wasn't deep enough for Titanic actually to go into the port. So a little mini Titanic was also built alongside the main ship in Belfast, and it's called SS Nomadic. So it is the tender ship that buried the first and second class passengers from Cherbourg out to the main Titanic ship, which was waiting further out at sea. And SS Nomadic is still in existence today, and it's the last remaining White Star Line ship in the world, and it's located at Titanic Belfast as well. So when you're in Belfast visiting the, the visitor attraction, you can also visit the, the authentic heritage ship, SS Nomadic, as part of your ticket, so you can really feel like you are on board Titanic. So 
that was the Tembley stick that used um, was used in the port in Cherbourg. Titanic then made her um, her way to Cove, which is in the south of Ireland, and then that's where she set sail across the Atlantic. And her next job was to be in New York. Uh, see, I consider myself a Titanic geek, and I did not know that there was a mini Titanic ship that's still uh, there today. That's amazing. Yes, it's absolutely beautiful. It's exactly a quarter the size that Titanic would have been, and she's known as Titanic's little sister. So the ship is exactly a quarter of the length that Titanic would have been, and she has one funnel, um, whereas Titanic would have had four and so she's just really a mini replica. And when you get on board the ship, you really can explore and see what the first and second class passengers would have experienced. A lot of the interiors, the, the internal benches, a lot of the, the cornicing and the cladding um, on the walls, they're all the originals that have been restored back to their former glory. There's a bar in the first class area where you can see um, where the first class passengers would have ordered their champagne and their cocktails while they were on the ship. And it really is just a real insight into what um, what Titanic would have been like, but also what SS Nomadic would have been like. Um, SS Nomadic, apart from her um, theme as the tender ship Titanic, also has a really lovely checkered history. Um, at one stage, she was a restaurant on the Seine in Paris. She was used as a nightclub at one stage. She was used as a tender ship for um, a lot of the huge big cruise liners in the world. Have famous passengers such as um, uh, Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. Said Charlie Chaplin has been on board. So just to discover SS Dramatic with her links to the Titanic story, but as a ship in her own right, is really a fascinating part of what you can do as part no, of your experience in Belfast. No kidding. That is amazing. So if you take that as part of your tour uh, through Titanic Belfast, how long would it take? You're looking at a whole day, I would think, to, to really uh, soak in all the, the things, right? Yes, well, most people take about two hours, two and a half hours to do um, the tour in Titanic Belfast. It's self-guided, so it's really up to yourself um, about your level of interest and how long you want to take. So most people about two, two and a half hours, and then you make the short walk, about five minutes, over to SS Nomadic, and you'll spend probably half an hour, 40 minutes exploring there. But there's also the slipways where you can explore and you can walk down and see um, all of the, the famous parts of, of the heritage assets that are there. Um, we have a great Titanic store and there's lots of things to do. So I would always recommend that people leave at least a day on their other visits to just mm-hmm. explore Titanic Belfast and the quarter. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the experience now. I, I know it's, it's kind of a general question, but when you walk into uh, Titanic Belfast, what's the first thing that, that kind of uh, hits you? is your approach to the building. The building is um, stunning. It's our iconic landmark now in Belfast. It is a beautiful silver silver building that is shaped like the hulls of four ships. Some people also say it looks like an iceberg, but it really just is so iconic um, for the city. And inside, when you go in, everything is done with the ship and the shipbuilding heritage of Belfast in mind. So everything from the benches outside are done like the SOS and Morse code sequence, and you can see the outline of the ship around the uh, the building and on the slipway. But when you go into Satanic Belfast, there's a huge central atrium, which is a, a communal space for people to congregate before they go into the experience. They'll move through um, our photographic area and then into the experience where they will find themselves in the first gallery, which is Boomtown Belfast. And it's a series of nine galleries which takes you chronologically through the story of Titanic. So you start in Boomtown Belfast, and that's where you learn all about the, 
the history of Belfast and why Titanic was built there. Because Belfast is such a famous port um, in the world at the time. It was famous for lots of things, a party ship building, the rope, rope work, the linen industry, everything that made Belfast really famous. So it really sets the scene for why it was built in Belfast. You then move through to the drawing offices where you'll see um, 3D and interactive 3D plans of the ship where you'll be able to explore the galleys, you'll be able to explore the, the boiler rooms and everything that went into the designing of the ship right on that spot in Belfast. You'll go into the shipyard. We have a little um, cable car ride that takes you through the shipyard where you can explore what the men in the shipyard would have done every day. And in there, it's really an immersive experience. You can feel the heat of the steel. You can set, you can hear the, the welders banging the rivets. And it really brings it to life what the shipyard would have been like. You then go into the lodge. And that's where you can see out through the windows to the exact spot where Titanic was first launched into the water on the slipways. So that's where you can hear the crowd roaring and learn all about what happened on that day in Belfast when she first left the slipways. You then can go into the fitout. You can see what the ship would have been like inside. So you, there's recreations and replicas of the first-class um, cabins. So it was actually a first-class stateroom, so it would have been like a suite. You can see the second and third-class cabins. But also you can see um, like a tour through the galleries. It's an immersive tour where you stand still and it, the ship moves around you. So you go right from the bottom of the ship in the boiler room up through all of the different floors, right up, up to the bridge at the top. You can then go on the maiden voyage where if you hold onto the handrail, you can feel the vibrations of how the ship would have felt if you were out on the deck. And you can meet some of the different characters as you go along. And then that's where everything changes. Suddenly there's a change in temperature, there's a change in mood, and it gets a lot darker. And that's where we're moving in to the sinking of the ship, where the ship has hit the iceberg. And this is where you can hear real survivors recalling what they remember about that day. And that's really where you immerse yourself into what the Titanic story really is very famous for. Then you move through into the aftermath and everything that happened afterwards. You then explore what um, we know about Titanic and how it's been recreated across films, books, literature, everything that we know today. And then finally to the final gallery, which shows you where the ship is today. Mm -hmm. And this is a gallery that we work very closely with Dr. Robert Ballard on. And you can go in, it's like a large cinema where you can view footage that Dr. Robert Ballard has shot for us. And you can see exactly how the ship looks. Um, on the seabed today. There's also a glass floor where you can see the ship floating beneath you, which is thousands of images of Dr. Ballard all stitched together. And you can really imagine if you were, say, a diver floating across the top of the ship, that is exactly how she looks. So it's really it's, it's really an experience for people to go. Obviously, the Titanic story, um, because of the movie, is so well known for the tragic sinking, but we really want to tell the story of everything that came before that and everything that comes after as well. Mm. So we really want to make sure that people understand the full story, and especially Belfast connection to that story, as it was such an important part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we just passed the 108th anniversary of the sinking. Do you normally, and I know you're closed now because of the COVID outbreak and things, but normally, uh, would you hold a memorial on that day or some sort of um, uh, memory? We do. Every year we hold a commemoration event called A Night to Remember. And it is uh, like a living history event of what happened on that night. So we work with um, with actors and we, so we recreate the key characters that um, were so um, prominent on that night and had such an important role to play. 
Um, that happened at the same time sequence as the actual events would have happened in 1912. We then have a commemorative service out on the slipways where we light candles and uh, we remember those who lost their lives. It's a really um, poignant event and a, a really um, emotional event that we have every year and it's so well received. This year, obviously, with COVID-19, that hasn't been possible um, for us to do it as, as the, the attraction is closed. But we did um, do it online. So if anybody wants to check out our social media channels um, at Titanic Belfast, um, you can see how we relive that story online, um, bringing out the different characters and bringing out the different, um, the different important parts of that night along the, the significant timeline that unfolded. Well, it would be uh, quite an experience, that is for sure. Uh, one that's high on my list of once this COVID thing is done <laughs> to visit Titanic Belfast. Uh, the website is titanicbelfast.com. And uh, Emer Car- uh, Carney is the head of marketing and communications for Titanic Belfast. We could go on and on because I'm a Titanic geek, <laughs> Emer, but uh, time is our enemy here. Uh, we'll just have to have you back on with more stories, that's all. Thank you. Uh, it was a pleasure chatting with you. Yes, it was my pleasure. And anytime, Randy. And that is this week's Informed Traveller podcast. I want to thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, take a minute, rate the show, leave us a review, and tell a friend about the podcast. And if you want to drop me a line, my email address is randy at theinformedtraveler.ca. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveller, or you can follow me on Twitter at informedtraveller.com.